Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. I entreat you, Euodia, and I entreat Cynthia. Boy, that's a, that's a tough name. Cynthia, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Maybe see this. In the book of Romans, Paul dealt boldly with uh, Jewish Gentile relationships. He dealt with uh, uh, the pressure of living in a, uh, a world that's going to draw you away from your faith. High persecution. That's one thing that you could read in the book of Romans. First and second Corinthians, it tells you boldly boldly about how this infighting and bickering could really determine and really work against the working of the church. And they were fighting about baptism. They were fighting about uh, food, sacrifice to idols. They were talking about uh, certain things that might lead you to holiness, which in fact they were actually putting salvation upon. Meaning, these are the things you need to do to be saved because you could destroy that. And they were talking about the ignorance of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians, Paul was not being gentle with them at all. 2 Corinthians, Paul was railing against them. He was frustrated with them. And you can see that in his writings. Galatians, talking about circumcision. He's, he's yelling at them, saying, no, no, don't go back to Jewish roots to think that that's what you need to be to be a Christian. The apostles, the prophets, the, the kings are all necessary for the son of but the Son is who we're supposed to focus on, Jesus Christ. And then uh, you got Ephesians and Colossians, very similar letters dealing with internal strife, uh, the, the, the church that excludes versus the church that includes, the church that says, you do not reach our holiness, so therefore you should be out there. And there's also infighting among the house standards, the house relationships among each other. Paul is dealing with issues in these letters. First and second Thessalonians, they quit working. Did you know that? They quit working. They stopped working. They were saying, ah, Christ is going to return. Let's just sit here and praise. And... Do you know that? That's, that's what first and second Thessalonians was all about. And then, of course, you got the letters to the, the, the they call it the, the pastoral letters. Uh, letters to the actual pastors like Timothy, people that were doing ministry. And those were, those were very, very uh, uh, deep letters. But we're studying Philippians. 
we're, well, I'm preaching on Philippians this, this, uh, <clears throat> this past month. And I can tell you right now, Philippians doesn't have that kernel. You haven't heard that one kernel. So far, what I've preached upon is several things. Good teachings. And you get that in all these other letters, but just good teachings about who Christ is, teaching about his own persecution, teaching about issues uh, 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 that we need to focus in on as a church, but not, you need to stop doing that. You need to stop doing this. This is a warning. This is an, I'm angry with you about this. None of that was a factor in Philippians. Except for this. Turn to uh, um, verse 2. Because I'm going to have to say these names again. <clears throat> I entreat you, Judea, in Sintiac, or Sintiac, whatever, however you pronounce that name, I apologize. There's, see, it's important. These people are written down. Their names are in there. You know, Clement is another person that's written in there uh, in, the, in the next verse, and you don't have to turn to it, but you can see it. Clement is, a, is considered a church father. They thought about putting Clement's letters in the Bible. If you go look back at the, the history of the Council of Nicaea, they thought about putting Clement's letters in this book. That's how big of a deal Clement was. Yeah. But they couldn't, they, they didn't, because they could not tie him directly to Jesus. And you say, well, what about Paul? Acts and uh, you, you also read Corinthians, where he describes his encounter with Christ. The, the road to Emmaus, I have the scales, the voice that came down, Christ says, why you persecute my church. The church saw that as him being encountered by Christ, only one-on-one. He couldn't say that about Clement. But yet, his writing was so voracious and so good. They thought, yes, we need to put that. So turn to the next verse real quick. It says, uh, yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me and the gospel together with Clement. Wait a minute. Judea and Sintiac or whatever her name is, however you pronounce that, is paralleled with Clement who labored with Paul in the ministry. There's something powerful here. There's something powerful here that we need to mind. That, that, that shaft of gold goes deep in this verse, these two verses. If you really just, see, it's, whenever he starts mentioning names in these letters, it's easy to just be like, Ugh. when you read, it's kind of like, okay, they, there's no necessary significance in my current life. I have to tell you, I actually batted around the concept of preaching this sermon twice and just focusing on the relationship between Eudea and Cynthia and the significance that Clement plays in all of this. But then I read the rest of the letter and I realized now this is one, one bulk of the text. And here's one. There's different ways to approach an issue in a letter. Am I right? I get a letter on a, on a stove. Uh, Leslie wants me to write some, you know, get something. Get milk, bread. Well, we won't get milk, but get uh, almond milk. Get uh, something, get this, get that. That's something, that's direct. Boom. That's how Paul kind of deals with some of these other letters, right? That's how, you need to stop making people get circumcised because that's wrong. That's what he would say. That's not 
That's not tenderfooting the whole subject. You see, this letter, that started off really boldly. You know, in, in Galatians, he was like, look, I am a Jew of Jews, and I know what I'm talking about here. Paul does not have the, 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 the credentials that I do. I went, or Peter does not have the credentials that I do. I went to Peter, and I told him he was wrong. So stop doing this. That's his whole letter. That's his whole argument. This whole argument does not read this way. It's talking about how he's persecuted, how he's in jail, and how he's doing all this stuff, and all this stuff, and how much he loves the people. Then he starts getting into some Christology about how Christ didn't even know what it's like to suffer sometimes. He had to suffer for him to really understand because he, you know, he got all this beautiful stuff. And then he gets into this relationship between these two people who are clearly arguing with each other. That doesn't read like, get almond milk, get bread. That doesn't read like a grocery list. That is far more subtle. By the way, if Leslie was to write a letter in this style to me, I probably would not have come home with almond milk and bread. <laughs> because this is so subtle. It's so quiet. But if you were Judea, if you were Cynthia, and you were people in that relation, in that community, you would know immediately what he was saying. And it would be so stinking bold to you, it would just, it would have wowed you. It was like, he was talking about all these things over this way, this way, this way, then boom! He jumps to this subject immediately. It's like he's sitting in the room with everybody and he speaks boldly to the issue. Go back to verse 2 again real quick. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. He's saying, okay, everybody, I love you. And now I entreat these two women, because you're going to tear this community apart. You're going to infight on each other. You're going to implode on each other. And you are going to focus on something other than Jesus Christ. Remember. Remember whenever you guys used to get back at each other and used to go and love each other and start working towards the gospel. We did some amazing things together. Remember that. Remember how awesome that was. And now what are you doing? You were fighting among each other. I entreat you, Dodie. I entreat Cynthia to agree in the Lord. Don't agree on the subject. Don't agree on that thing or that thing. What are you supposed to agree upon? The Lord. Remember. You know, whenever we as a, a, a denomination or even as a, a churches, we want to say, we're right and you're wrong. We're right, you're wrong. But yet we still would say the same thing. If you looked at our book of con our, 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 our confessions and creeds, what we would all agree upon, 99% of it was all pretty much the same. And we forget that when we still focus on the 1%. I'm talking about cross denominations, let alone in this room. So here we have Paul evoking Clement, evoking his past ministry, evoking the, the saints and saying, you need to stop this infighting. You see, I have an, an analogy to this. I, uh, <clears throat> I played football for a very long time. And, uh, uh, and uh, this analogy comes out for me so boldly. Uh, when I first became a Christian, uh, uh, there was a man by the name of Chuck, and he would tell me this story, and he would always use this analogy about soldiers, soldiers in a, a trench fighting a war. And, and I'm not a big fan of the, the war analogy, 
only to say that kind of puts um, you as the, the one who's going to win the fight or lose the fight. But I knew what he was trying to say. Because he says, often we'd be in the trench and we'd be fighting and we'd be bickering over bullets. Give me those bullets. Ah, you know, give me those bullets. Ah, you know, and we wouldn't actually be focusing on what we're supposed to be doing. And I've seen this in real life. I've seen this type of infighting in real life. It was my senior year of high school. And uh, I was in the, in the huddle. And we, 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 for football fans, you kind of know what I'm about to say. There was a new formation that, that, that anybody who ever seen tape on us never saw us play this way before. It was new. We were in the playoffs. And we were sitting there in the huddle. And the new formation required one guy that I played football with my entire life for 10 years before that. As a matter of fact, everyone in that huddle I played, played with for 10 years. It's a very interesting scenario. Everyone that I was looking at, I knew them for 10 years in this same capacity. We just knew each other. We knew each other inside and out. It was little kids learning what a two-hole was, learning what a three-hole was, learning what these things were. We just, we grew up together. And here we were in our last game. And we were playing together because I gave it away in the last game. Playoff game. And I was looking at the huddle. And this guy who was in this new formation that required him to go and just hit someone full speed every play. He, he was sobbing because he was hurt. He just didn't feel like he wanted to play anymore. And this guy, he was down. His head was down like this. Because a couple plays earlier, he gave up a fumble that they returned for a touchdown. This guy had it. He was done playing football. He was so sore. He just didn't like it anymore. This guy didn't see what was happening in the huddle. And he was yelling at everyone else. We were in fighting. We won the championship three years before that in junior. We won the championship. It was one of these things that you wish you could go back to. My second year of playing football, we won a championship. This same group, these same guys. I've seen us. And whenever we were in the huddle then, the pain wasn't so much so urgent. And things weren't because, you know what? We were focused on winning. We were focused on going. We were focused on going ahead. And these, in, these things that you were frustrated about didn't actually matter. Because what mattered more to you was winning that game. And we won that game. Several years later, we won that game. I'll never forget my junior year, junior high year, when we won the championship, we were all in the locker room at halftime. There wasn't a single one of us complaining. We were up by five or six, seven points or something like that. And we were just all focused in the, in the locker room. And we were ready to go. We were just sitting there. Not a single thing. No infighting, no argument. But it was just this last year. We were all bickering at one another. We weren't focused on that, going and playing that game. We were just, you know, 
You see, I think this is what Paul's getting at here. This, not football. It's not what I think he's getting at. He's getting at the concept here. If I would have been able to identify then what I'm able to identify now, I would have yelled at every single one in that huddle. And I would have said, we need to focus. We need a major on the majors. And we need a minor on the minors. And we aren't. We're totally majoring on the small things. And we're worried about ourselves. And we're not worried about winning that game. If this, if this guy was really in pain, he needed to get off the field. But he didn't want to because he knew it was his last game or at least one of the last games. And he didn't want to make himself feel bad. So he didn't want to get off. We had a replacement. He could have got, went off, take a couple plays off. Got better, got back in, but he didn't want to. This guy could have snapped to it and said, you know what, had a short memory and got past it and said, you know what, I could, I could redeem myself by going and playing another good play and getting a touchdown, getting that ball back, so to speak. He didn't do any of that. None of us did that because we just focused on our own thing. We started focusing on ourselves. And we're talking about how this relates to this text. I think Judea and Sintiac, what they were doing is they were focusing on themselves. Was there real live pain in that guy? For sure. Was this guy felt upset and sad that he'd fumbled the ball? No doubt. Certainly. But you get out of it. And you focus on the Lord. And you move past it. And you go forward and you focus on the kingdom of God. The kingdom that is at hand. The yet and not yet. The coming and not coming. The coming and not yet here. You see, this is what Paul is imploring us to do. How is he doing that? You go to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He's calling us to rejoice in what, who he is and what he's doing. Now, Paul, but Christ, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Look, if, if your message is important as Christians, if you truly love this God who says these things, that our life should change and should be changing to be more like him. We should never be happy about the history and always be looking forward to the complete restoration of all things. Let the infighting. Let your reasonableness, let your, the, the fact that you could sit there and keep sound mind and approach the Lord. Next verse. Do not be anxious about anything. This is one of these verses that you get anyone to start memorizing. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, offer your request to God, the peace of God that will transcend all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You can't understand how peaceful that verse has been to me. You're anxious about, oh, I'm anxious about what's happening, what's going on. Your only recourse is to pray. Throw it upon the Lord. You see, I think we uh, kind of devise ourselves into thinking that Christ doesn't know what's going on in our lives. But I think what happens through prayer is, is that as you confess the anxiety that you're dealing with, His already foreknowledge starts giving you the peace to say, I have it. I have it. You want to fight with each other? Recognize one thing. I have it. Peace. Peace of God transcends all understanding. 
he's telling us. So when we pray, he's communicating to us that he has it in his righteous right hand. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The, the, the verse could say, focus on these things. Focus on the things that are good. He's not saying that you shouldn't necessarily concern yourself with things of the world around you and not worry about them, but focus on what's good. Don't, 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 don't get mixed up in the, the, the bickering in the trench about the bullets or the bickering about the things that, that, that are significant but not important, urgent but not here, now, real. This is what he's talking about. And then finally in verse 9, I think he brings it home. What you have learned and received and heard seen it, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But then I'm going to bring it back to verse 2 in a second. But first, what he's saying is, may I have been a model for you on how we are all called to act and be a part of this kingdom of God going out, working towards these things, not infighting. You realize that these bickering and these fights are not necessarily the important things. Not the subject is, uh, could be relevant. But the fact is, at the end of the day, you come together and you say, you're my brother, and I'm your sister, and we're sisters, and we're brothers, or however, whatever the dichotomy might be. But you say we are, we are united in Christ. Our unity is in Christ. And you won't put some sort of other thing above that unity you have that you are called to be towards. This is true love for one another. This is what we're called to strive for. And you want to say what the kingdom of God is? That's more of what it's supposed to be. Because you see in verse 2. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. Thus in the Lord, my beloved, stand firm in this Lord that we love. Of course, he says, I entreat you, Didion, and I entreat Cynthia to agree in the Lord. Go to the next one. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. See, that word, true companion, um, misses it. This is where the English doesn't have a word that we could put in there. He's saying, yes, true yoke fellow, true one who is united. The word would best be described in, in, in a Roman centurion, which is what Philippi was made up of, his former soldiers. They would get it. They would get it. Teammate. One who is together as a group for a common purpose. Not an individual purpose, but for a common purpose for the kingdom of God, for unity in Christ, for his kingdom to come. It's all wrapped up in that word. The English here says true companion. We don't have it. I guess you could say teammate, but it doesn't fully express true companion, one who is united, not just in a common goal, but united in Christ for a common goal. This is what we have. And I can't tell of any other place in this world than at this table. It's all level. Is that right? I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't have a bubble level. Ralph, 
Is this a level floor? You don't, you don't need to get any steps up here. You, as an individual, will come as a body of Christ to this table. And you will encounter the living Lord. The most important part of why we meet on Sundays. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this place. And we ask, Lord Jesus.